you don't know, my name is Brady Testorf, and I'm the pastor of this church. And I love telling people our story, because it's not just my story, it's our story about how the church got started, and, and it's, it's going to be coming up on two years, two years in uh, June on Father's, well, the week before Father's Day, it'll be two years that we've been meeting together, and God has been so good to us. And we're excited that the school continues to allow us to meet in this place, and so thank you for, for being here. We do have a podcast that we record each week that goes out onto the internet, and a few people do listen to that, so if you're listening to my voice, you probably haven't heard me say this for a while, but thank you for listening, and we're, hopefully you'll be encouraged today uh, by God's Word. This, this message today, if you are a lady, if you are a lady, a female, this message it's primarily for you, but guys, don't check out. I know how you are. Just don't go, go, don't go to your happy place quite yet. Stay with me because there's a place, there's a, a word for you as well today, obviously, because it's God's word. But I had this thought. I was thinking about the women in Jesus' story. We've been doing this series on the power of story, and stories are powerful. And next week, you're going to have an opportunity to hear a woman's story uh, personally from her, and I, I'm, I'm excited about that. But I started thinking about the women in my story. Now, don't get, don't get too scared about that thought, like, oh, no, where is he going to go? By the way, my wife's not here, so she can't roll her eyes at me while I'm preaching. She's actually helping somebody uh, get ready to be married today, and she's helping get their wedding, wedding together, so I'm happy that she's able to do that. But I'm thinking about who are the women in my life that are a part of Jesus' story? Well, I'll just start with my grandmother. I did my grandma's funeral on Monday. I got a chance to preach at her funeral. I was excited about that. It was a great chance to preach the gospel to so many of my relatives. It was, I realized it was like God ordained this moment and I'll never get this chance again to stand. Just like this group of people will never be here just like this ever again. On this particular, and it's seated this way, all of us here at one time. And so every single opportunity we gather, I, I see it as a significant moment. So my grandma was a woman who passed her faith on to my mom, and I, and I was blessed by that. And my mom faithfully then prayed for me and introduced me to Jesus. She made sure that we were in church Especially as I got a little bit older, teenagers, my mom would say, that's fine, you want to stay up late on Saturday night, but where are you going to be on Sunday morning? I'm going to be in church, mom. And I was. And I, I, I honestly really enjoyed church as a kid, even though I really didn't fully enter in to the church and really worship the way that I feel like I, I can now. But I, but I really appreciate the, the foundation my parents gave me, and my mom was a big part of that. There's a lady named Mindy Hooks. How many of you know who Mindy Hooks is? Mindy met me when I was 18 years old. I started working at American Airlines here at the airport. And Mindy was pregnant with her youngest daughter, who's now married and an adult. And Mindy, I think, started praying for me then. She saw something special about me then. And she started praying for me when I, as we worked together at the airport. And then she later uh, came on staff at the First Baptist Church, and we worked together at the church. And so her, she's been in my life a long time. There's a lady named Kim Marshall. Uh, her name's uh, Kim Sweeney now, but she is my ex-wife. And yes, I can even say that God used her because one of the things that came as a result of our relationship was the next person on my list 
and that is a girl named Bailey. Bailey altered my life the first minute of her existence. She's my oldest daughter, and uh, she continues to inspire me today, the type of person that she is that she has become. When my life started kind of getting turned around, I started going to the Baptist church here in town, and there was a little lady named Elma Batterson. Anybody else know Elma Batterson? Elma was so precious and so sweet, and she did what you guys just got through doing. She turned around without even the prompting of the pastor. She greeted me and made me feel like I was supposed to be there. I was sitting on almost the back row of the church. I was my first Sunday and she, uh, she just made sure that she knew that I was welcome, and she invited me to go have fried chicken downstairs at the church that Sunday. And uh, I smelled that fried chicken, and unfortunately I had to go to work, and I didn't get to stay. But, but that was the beginning of a relationship with this precious lady. Then there was a lady that I came in contact with at a conference out in California before I actually became a, a full-time pastor. I went to this conference called the Vineyard Conference out in Anaheim, California, and I met this lady. The only thing I know about her is the lady in the purple blouse. They were, they were praying. They were up on the stage. This pastor was speaking, and he was, he was giving, um, I don't know if you've ever been in an experience like this where the, whoever it is that's speaking is like, there is a, a group of people over here that is struggling with some health issues, I think some issues related to their blood. Is that you? And about three or four people stood up. And this woman was in this purple blouse, and she, um, for some reason, she just stood out to me. And, and, and the pastor said, hey, if you feel led, go over to these people, these people that, that are close to you and just lay your hands on them and pray for them to be healed. And so that's what I did. I had no clue what I was doing. I was this small-town Baptist church, never had this experience before in my life. This was, people were, were experiencing the Lord in ways I'd never seen happen before. And I go over to this woman, and I just, me and a few other people, and I'm like just putting my hands on her, and God is great, God is good, thank you for this. No, that's not the prayer. Uh, what, what else, what else, another prayer? Uh, oh, God, just help this woman, whatever it was. I didn't even really know what to pray. I was still pretty young in my faith. And when I was done praying, and these other guys were done praying, everybody else walked away, and she said, would you sit here for a moment? I really think God wants me to pray for you. And I was like, okay, sure. And she placed her hand on my chest, and she starts to, to speak in this prayer language. I've never experienced this before in all my life. I'm surprised I didn't pass out, you know. And she spoke a prophetic word over my life that has come true over the years. And she, this is what she says. She goes, I see you leading and I see young men lining up behind you and following you as you follow Jesus she goes that's what I see in your life I did not know I was going to be a youth pastor at that time I had no idea no idea and she goes I see you and your wife dancing with Jesus with great joy now that part of the story has taken a little bit more work <laughs> Because of the struggles of just everyday life and whatever. But just recently, I start to see that picture of my wife and I experiencing more joy in our marriage than we ever have before. And this was a lady in a purple blouse that I've never seen since that day. And she imp impacted my life. Well, obviously, then it leads, leads me to my wife. And there's not enough time to explain the blessing that she is to me. 
I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for her prayers and her just wisdom and discernment. Then there was her mom, named, her, Trisha's mom's name was Catherine. And Catherine prayed for my wife before she prayed for me. She instilled a legacy into my wife. And then there are these girls named Emma, Eliza, Yesenia, and Amelia. They, these young ladies have enriched my life um, in, in ways that are uh, hard to explain. Emma was my, Bailey was my firstborn, but Emma was my firstborn with Trish. And Eliza is the baby, and she'll forever be my baby. <laughs> and then Yesenia came along via adoption and brought with her a little brother named Powell. And then Yesenia gave us nine months ago a precious little grandbaby that, uh, that has changed our life and our family for the good, for sure. They've all taught me about patience. Have your kids taught you patience? <laughs> Have your kids taught you unconditional love? Yes, in amazing ways. In that unconditional love of the, of the Father. A few weeks ago, we lost a precious woman in this world. Her name was Joy George. Joy touched my wife's life. She mentored her and encouraged her through some difficult times. And if you heard my story about Joy, Joy taught me the art of giving and receiving. How to give good gifts and how to receive them as well. She was actually with me the day I met the lady in the purple blouse all those years ago. And then there's a lady named Dorothy Jean, who was a precious lady in the Baptist church who continues to encourage me and bless me. Every wedding that I do, Dorothy Jean touches the bride's life because she makes these little pouches out of wedding dress material and we give them these coins to remind them of uh, to bring everything you've got to your husband and everything into this marriage and Dorothy Jean touches their life and they don't even know her. And then a couple more as I, as I move forward here. There's a lady named Kathy Kingsley Robertson. Does anybody know Kathy? Kathy Robertson, if you guys... Kim knows everybody. She's like, yeah, I know her. I know her. Kathy knew uh, me at First Baptist Church and she knew I was leaving the Baptist Church before I did. She approached me one day in the foyer. She said, you are not going to be here much longer, are you? And I was like, well, how, how do you know that? She's like, I just get a sense that God's going to do something different with you. And she has spoke some words into my life and into my family's life that have come true and have been a huge blessing. And then lastly, there's a lady named Stephanie Hensley. Anybody know Stephanie? Anybody know Stephanie Hensley here? Yeah, she's here. <laughs> she's the one who, who called me one day and said, have you ever considered pastoring a church and at that time, I was entrenched in youth ministry. I'd been there for a long time. And uh, she listened to the Lord that day, and she made this phone call. And that's a great segue because Stephanie is going to be speaking next Sunday on Mother's Day and sharing her story. I want to encourage you to be here for that. And all of these ladies, all these, including the, those of you that are here today that have touched my life, all of these ladies experienced the transformation that Jesus brings about in a life that is surrendered to him. Every single one of these ladies have experienced that, and they have then used it to be a part of my story and to bless me, and I and I'm so much appreciate that. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, because I got on to this theme or this idea when I was thinking about the ladies in Jesus' Jesus's story. 
in the genealogy of Jesus. There are, I'll just be honest, there's some scandalous stories in the Bible. If you think the Bible's boring, you haven't read enough of it because it is pretty fascinating for sure. So Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now just hang with me on this, on these, all these names, okay? Don't, don't get lost because we're going to pull a few of them out and really walk through them together. But just hang with me on this. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So when you hear the phrase by Tamar, Tamar is their the mom. By her. They came by her. Like I am by Doreen. Okay? And this, so by Tamar. Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. Some of those names sound familiar if you've been around church life at all. Some of those names sound familiar. Oh, okay, so you got all these, these generations after generations, 14 generations to where we, just, where we just got to. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. There's a whole story there. <laughs> and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And you're like, okay, get on with it. Just, just, can we just be done? And Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the de- deportation, or deportation to Babylon. Another 14 generations. And after the deportation of, to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob. Oh, okay, now we're starting to sound a little bit more familiar, right? And Jacob the father of Joseph, who just happened to be the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Just quickly, God does not do anything by accident. He has a purpose for everything. Can I get an amen? Okay? In your life, no accidents. There's a purpose for everything, and we're going to start to see it in the lives of these people. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This prophet said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called him Jesus. So I'm just going to pull a couple names out of this genealogy. The first one is Tamar. Tamar is the daughter-in-law. Now listen, she was the daughter-in-law of Judah two times. And you're like, whoa, how, how does that even happen? All right? She was the daughter-in-law of Judah twice and the mother of his two children. At this point, I was going to insert a joke about Arkansas or Alabama or something like that, but didn't think it was appropriate, so we won't do that. <laughs> Her story, especially if you're from there, I'm just kidding, all right? Her story is found in Genesis chapter 38. I just want to encourage you to read the whole story, okay? Because you cannot make this stuff up. You need to read the whole story. But I promise you, this is probably not the best one to have as your family devotional time with your kids before bed, okay? I'm just telling you. When you read it, you'll be like, now I know what Brady was talking about. Thank you for the disclaimer. But this story is so much like all the other stories in the Bible when you think, how is God going to redeem this? This is a mess. This makes Jerry Springer look tame. I don't, how is God going to do something in the midst of this difficult situation? How is God going to do something in the midst of your difficult situation? How has God done something significant in, in mine? But he's so patient with us. and He's so faithful. And in this story, two different times, Judah's sons refused to do what God called him, them to do as a man. And this is a common story in the Bible, too, where man, where men, even from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, men are passive. They're, they're not doing what God has called them to do, and people suffer as a result of it. And so in this story, these two different sons refuse to do what God has called them to do, and that is to carry on the bloodline. And so Tamar takes the, the, the story into her own hands. She does something scandalous. She's pretty sneaky. <laughs> But in the process, through Judah comes Perez, who has a significant role to play in the story. And though her actions were a bit scandalous, Judah said later on that she was more righteous than him because he failed to follow through with the promise that he made. Gentlemen, if you make a promise, keep it. If you make a promise, keep it. And so she, so she takes the matter into her own hands. She ends up having this. In the story, she has twins. And one of the twins sticks his hand out, <laughs> saying, I'm coming. And they put a red a scarlet uh, string on his hand. And then he pulls it back in. And then Perez pushes the, his brother out of the way in the womb and comes out first and takes his, takes his rightful place. It's, it's crazy that all of the little details that go into this. But Tamar is a part of the story because from that well, it leads us to um, Rahab. How many of you are familiar with the story of Rahab? We talked about her not too long ago 
when we looked at the book of Joshua, Rahab's profession uh, was one of the oldest ones in history. <laughs> she, she was a prostitute, but she showed kindness to two of the spies that came into the land of Jericho to scout it out and to, to see what needed to be done to, in order for God to, to move his people in, into that area. But her family was spared because, because of her hospitality, because of her obedience and listening. Even though she wasn't one of God's people, and even though her, her, her career was a little less than upright, God still used this woman. There was a guy that quote, was quoted to have said his name was William L. Lyons. He said, he observed that the biblical interpreters have viewed Rahab as a model of hospitality, mercy, faith, patience, and repentance in her interaction with Joshua's spies. Thus, the harlot of Jericho became the paragon of virtue. What a beautiful picture of, of a life transformed when, when it's surrendered and being used by God. Think about it. She was so used to being used. But then when she gave herself to the king, the king of kings, he used her for noble purposes. And out of that, this, this birth came Boaz, who becomes this person and just happened to be in the right place at the right time to redeem a young girl named Ruth. Ruth was from another country, from another people. She was a foreigner. But her mom was, was one of the, one of the uh, people of Israel. Her name was Naomi. Ruth's husband died. Or Naomi's husband died, so did Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, and then another son had died as well. But she decided to stay with Naomi. She was quoted to have said, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. In order for her, her husband's bloodline to carry on and for his story to continue, she needed someone to redeem her. And in that culture, it had to be the next relative. It had to be the nearest relative. It just couldn't be anybody. It had to be someone in that, that line. And the one guy that was the closest to do it said he didn't, he didn't want to. He didn't want any part of it. So Boaz steps up and takes on this huge responsibility. And look, uh, look what it says. I'm going to look at real quick at the book of Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 2, starting around, um, I'll start reading at verse 10, but just to give you a little background. Ruth came into to Boaz's life looking for food. And when Boaz noticed her, he showed great favor to her. And he allowed her to glean from the fields, and he gave kind of special treatment to her. My guess is, is Ruth was probably really beautiful. <laughs> and that always catches a guy's eye. <laughs> He sees that she's beautiful. But then he learns her story. And listen to what it says in verse 10. Chapter 2 of Ruth, verse 10. When he had shown so much favor to her, it says she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Have you ever wondered, like, why, why would God want anything to do with me? After what I've done, and where I've been, my past. Like, so many times they're like, Brady, if you knew my story, if you knew my past, I was like, bring it on. <laughs> I want to know your story because I have one too. 
But Boaz answered her, All you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you have left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful picture. And Boaz recognizes that he's a part of that refuge. He's a part of her story. Like he has this opportunity. It's one thing to know about the opportunity, but it's a whole nother thing to follow through, even when it's going to require great sacrifice and require you to do something that maybe other people will think is scandalous. And other people going to question your intentions. But when you know this is what God has called you to do, to actually step forward and do it is where faith kicks in. It's one thing to say you have faith, but it's a whole nother thing to actually walk it out. She ended up giving birth to Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who happened just to be the father of a little shepherd boy who was pretty famous for, de for defeating a big giant named Goliath with a small stone and great faith. <laughs> and there's Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> or as you look back in hindsight looks, God used it in the midst of that situation to turn it into a good thing. But she was called on by the king for his own pleasure. But later she was called on by the king for his pleasure and for his glory. She got pregnant by David and she ended up having a baby and that first baby died. But she eventually then became the mother of Solomon. And even though it wasn't the ideal situation, God honored her obedience. And then there's Mary, the young teenage girl who had been promised to Joseph historians would say at a very young age that might not mean that she got married or at that same age obviously but maybe at 13 to 14 years old she was then promised to Joseph and so then a few years later maybe the Holy Spirit comes to her Do we have any 15 year old girls here 15 year old 16 year old somewhere around in there yeah there's one precious little girl She's not a little girl anymore, a young lady. But can you imagine God coming to you and saying, I'm going to interrupt your story, and now I want you to carry the Savior of the world into, the, into this land? Hard time explaining how that all happens. <laughs> Joseph didn't get it, didn't really want to get it, and then God spoke to him, and he was obedient, and that was good. Joseph, interestingly enough, was from the line of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah. God has a way of just working it out. <laughs> Even in the midst of our failure, God does incredible, incredible things with people's lives. She was called on by the king of kings to carry and deliver the one who would eventually deliver her. You know, all four of those ladies, except for Mary, all of the other ladies were all Gentiles. And to me, it's amazing how God chose to use Jew and Gentile to birth a kingdom together. To me, it just makes me think there's just hope. <laughs> there's hope for you and me. And in all these stories, we can see even in the bad situations, God had a sovereign purpose. In your story, no matter how bad it might possibly be or has been, God is sovereign and he has a purpose. That's for all of us, not just for the ladies in the room, but that's for all of us. And God worked in all of those ladies to change the lives of many people. And they're living proof that no matter what happened in the past, a life surrendered to him 
God can do amazing things with it. So I want to finish up our time together. You might be tempted to think this morning, right? Ladies, I just want to, I want to speak to you. You might be tempted to think that you aren't significant enough to be used by God to accomplish anything of significance. Do you hear what I'm saying? You may think there's no way. These stories are proof that there is a way. Your story is proof that there is a way. You might have been diagnosed recently or at some point in your life, maybe you're still struggling with this disease called I.O. If only. If only I'd been born at a different time in history. Or maybe if I'd been born into a different family, then, maybe then, God could have used me. If only. If only I had more talent. If only I could sing like her or him. Or if only I had more money. If, if I just had more money. If only I had more money. This might hurt a little bit, guys. But girls might struggle with this thought. If only I had married better. If only I had married better. Should have just stuck with the one that I had. Should have picked that guy instead of this guy. If only I tried harder in school, at work, in sports, etc., etc. If only I was more attractive. If only I was a size six. If only I had not wasted so much time when I was younger by making poor choices. Some of the sins that I committed some of the things that I allowed to happen to me that I knew were wrong. And then lastly, if only, fill in the blank. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1. This is part of the story of the birth of Jesus again. Luke chapter 1, let's say, let's start with uh, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? <laughs> how is this going to happen since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And, and this is the sixth month that she, that she uh, that, that with her that, who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, and this is the phrase I want you to grab a hold of. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed her. In the midst of all of the if onlys, what if your response, what if your response was more like, Okay, Lord, I am. I am your servant. May it be as you say. Whatever it is that you want from me, what if our attitude was like that? No matter the situation, no matter the past, right now in this moment, the if only could become, Lord, I am. I am available. I am forgiven. I am loved with an everlasting love. I am chosen. Ladies, have you ever felt that way? I am chosen. I am special. God has a purpose. He has a purpose for me. Even in the midst of all of these things. God gives us these examples, these stories to, to help us to look to him and help us to, to see others with his eyes, to, to see others as being loved and chosen and forgiven and special. 
I love Mary's attitude. I don't get it. I don't understand how it's going to happen, but I'm your servant. I want to finish with this, uh, this story that I was reminded of the other day. And it's a story from a Max Lucado book called You Are Special. How many of you have ever heard this story? You Are Special. I think I want to share it because, ladies, I just I need you to just in your spirit know how incredibly treasured and valuable you are. Young ladies, like this precious little face, to grow up knowing how incredibly special you are. And in this story, it's about little wooden people called the Wemmicks. And in this village, the Wemmick village, all the people went around every day with boxes that had gold stars and gray dots. And based on your performance would determine what you would get that day or maybe multiple times that day. Now, if you were really good, if you didn't have some of these stories... (laughs) then you would get a gold star. If you could jump and you could run and you were talented, you could sing beautifully, they would come to you and they'd place a gold star on you. And there are people who had lots of gold stars. There are people that you look around in your life and think, oh, I just wish I had as many as those as gold stars as she has. But then on the other end of it, there was the box of gray dots. And if you would mess up and you would fail, they would give you a gray dot. Now, isn't it true that your goal would be to have more gold stars, right, than gray dots? That would be a successful day. That would be a successful life. Well, there was one little guy in the village. His name was Punchinello. And Punchinello was covered in gray dots. He got gray dots because he had so many gray dots. You ever had a day like that? And you just feel like, I can't do anything right. And then you start believing the lie that you deserve those gray dots. Or you might believe the lie that you deserve those gold stars. Both ends of that story are dangerous. But there was a special young lady, back to these ladies. There was one little girl in the village. Her name was Lucia. Lucia had no gold stars. And you would think, she must not be very good. She has no gold stars. But wait, she had no gray dots either. What is up with that? How could you not have gold stars if you don't have gray dots? It doesn't make any sense. Well, Lucia shared with Punchinello one day her secret. Her secret is that every day she goes to the one who crafted her with his very hands, Eli the woodmaker, And she would go to him every day and he would tell her how valuable she is, how special she is, how beautiful she is. And his words had power over all of the words of the other people in the village. Why? Because he is the one who made her. Therefore, he's the only one who has the right to speak those words over her. And because she believed them, all of the gray dots and all of the gold stars wouldn't stick to her because she did not allow them to. Ladies, go to the one who has made you. Let him tell you how valuable you are to him. 
Drown out all the other voices. And let the maker, the one who gave you life, define your value to let you know how special you are and how you matter to him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these stories, the hard parts of these stories that remind us of the hard parts of our story. But then, Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've chosen, chosen us. You, you long to, to speak into our lives, to, to reveal to us our value so that we could Instead of say, if only, we can say, God, I am. I am available to you. I'm your servant. Lord, I pray right now for the, for the ladies that are in this room that have, have had things spoken over them that are just not true, that are hurtful to them. God, would you heal, heal them? Would you heal broken hearts this morning? Would you not only heal, but would you reveal what it is that you have for them? Just like you showed these ladies purpose and value in their life and how you use them to bring about the birth of Jesus our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you had that purpose for them. Thank you that you have a purpose for these ladies here today. God, reveal to them the truth of of their identity and how much you love them. Would you speak that over them? As men in their life, would we be those that speak that over them? Would you use us not to just stand by and let it happen. Instead, we would be, be the ones that would help them hear the voice of God as a father, as a grandfather, as a husband, as a friend. God, use us to be the voice of God in their life. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we worship this last song, if you, you just want to come and pray, if you say, God, I just need to like, just hear, this, hear your voice again. There'll be others who will be willing to pray with you. And so please come.